This is Speaking of the Economy, a podcast hosted by the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond. In each episode, we'll hear firsthand from the Richmond Fed's economists and other experts about the issues they're exploring, from access to credit, to workforce development, to regional differences in economic outcomes. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and do not represent the views of the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond or the Federal Reserve System. I'm Tim Sablick, an economics writer. Today I'm joined by Santiago Pinto, a senior policy economist in the Richmond Fed's research department. Before joining the bank in 2012, Santiago taught economics at West Virginia University for 10 years. His research focuses on urban and regional economics, public economics, and state and local public finance. Today we'll be talking about the potential long-term consequences of disruptions to K-12 education as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Thanks for joining me, Santiago. Hey, Tim. I'm so happy to be talking to you. A lot of your research has been kind of focused on, you know, applied microeconomics topics. How did you end up getting interested in the topic of our conversation today about the economics of education? So if you think in the U.S., the way the, the, the education system works is really fascinating. Is you have the school districts and you know, they are financed by property taxes, and, and that determines kind of the quality of the schools, and that determines where people decide to locate, and, and that at the end determines even uh, spatial or regional differences across locations. So that's where I got into more into the area of education. Now, then there's a particular field of education. They are all engaged and involved in trying to evaluate policies, trying to figure out what is the causal effect of a policy, for instance, on educational outcomes. And that's a fascinating area. It's not that you can really experiment with people. So so in that area, people use a lot of what are called quasi-natural experiments to study how different changes in policies uh, or or affect treatment group uh, and and, uh, compare that to a control group and so on. So that's another area that I worked uh, before I had some uh, specialization in econometrics. I guess one of those sort of natural experiments you could consider would be all the spillover effects of recession. Uh, So you mentioned that you kind of came through this through local state and local public finances, and obviously recessions can have a big impact on those finances. How do those uh, spill out into education? Deep recessions like, like the one we are uh, experiencing right now, they really cast long shadows on, on state and local tax revenues. Like if you look at the Great Recession from 2007 to 2010, the, the taxes collected by, by state and local government, they, they fell almost 5%, which is quite a lot. And they actually, they didn't recover until 2013. When state and local governments, they experience such decrease in, in tax revenue, then they are forced to reduce a, a spending. And we know that funding of education relies on state and local governments. What research has been trying to do, looking at the behavior of what happened in previous recession, they're trying to see what has been the implication of those declines in revenues. I'm sure that there will be a huge amount of research coming out from this natural experiment and see what are the, the possible effects. But for the time being, we are kind of relying on what happened in the past, which again, is not exactly the perfect match. So for instance, if we, if we look at the past and especially the Great Recession, so one way in which local governments, they face this decline in resources is by reducing their payroll. They are due to that by layoffs, furloughs, or, or hiring freezes. So if you look at employment at the local level, it fell down in the Great Recession and did not recover until 2019, actually. 
Is that specifically employment for teachers? Actually, 60% of the local government employment are just education jobs. And when you look at specifically at the evolution of uh, local education jobs, they went down in 2008 and actually did never recover to the pre-recession levels. If you look at the same data right now, you see, you know, there's a huge decline. So, so not only the employment has been even more than the, the Great Recession, but also more abruptly and more sudden. But also, so this has to do with the people, you know, teachers or uh, um, administrative people that support education in any in any particular way. But the budget to education will go down. For instance, in the Great Recession, uh, the spending per student declined in 2009. Spending from edu- uh, per student declined around $500 until 2013, and and they only recovered in, in 2016. So when we expect something similar to happen right now, and we expect this to happen not only in the short run, but also perhaps extended for a few more years. Is there any research on how uh, these spending cuts to education translate to effects on students? Definitely the research showed that these education disruptions matter. They matter a lot. For instance, the, the research that was based on data from the Great Recession finds that cohorts that were exposed to the cuts during uh, the Great Recession, they had worse educational outcomes. And also the, those uh, cuts contributed to increase the test score gap between black and white students. And uh, and, and also it decreased the, the college going rate. The all, all these studies offer such a quantitative uh, results in terms of what are the expected decline that we can observe for a, a specific amount of declining in spending. Another aspect to consider is that those entering, entering the job market in, during a recession, they tend to accept lower pay jobs. And actually, they also tend to accept jobs that are not really good matches for them for, and for the employees. So they will also tend to increase employee turnover. This will all imply they will have a flow of earnings in the future that will be lower than the ones uh, of those that graduate under better economic conditions. And I think um, we've seen in some past recessions because of those effects, you know, often a lot of students who would be graduating into recession choose to kind of continue their schooling until the economic conditions look better. The situation we're in right now is a bit different with a lot of schools going online because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, so what are some of the other impacts that we might expect to see that will look a little different from past recessions? Um, when people are trying to use the Great Recession uh, to understand what's going to happen here, so, I mean, we can definitely use those results, but there are a lot of new other things happening right now. So one of the main difference is that now we have uh, uh, students experience not only less instruction time due to school closures, but actually they have to suddenly uh, shift from a face-to-face in- uh, instruction to an online instruction at all levels of education. This extended school closure that we observed mostly in the spring semester of 2020, and research has found that that when students miss class hours or miss instruction, that will affect negatively their development of cognitive skills. That will also lower their uh, performance in standardized testing, and also eventually that will have a, a, a negative impact on future earnings. Some back-of-the-envelope calculations that I did based on this research is that, for instance, a 12-week school closure, something along the lines that we experienced in the spring semester, will reduce test scores in math by 9% of a standard deviation. And this is an outcome that will be even worse 
for people from low-income uh, families. There's an interesting uh, strand of, of literature. They try to quantify what is the learning loss that typically takes place during the summer. And that literature finds that students tend to lose about a month of learning over the summer on average. So, so this kind of research is also, can also be used to try to see what are the implications of the school closures. If we extrapolate these findings to, to the current, uh, current situation, students that will return in fall 2020 uh, to their classes with 63 to 68% of the learning gains in reading relative to a typical school year, and with 35 to 50% of the learning gains in math. Not, not, not only that, this is an average effect, right? So there are kids actually that will be doing better because these are, these are kids that will be part of the higher distribution of skills. Uh, so these are students that are really very self-motivated that will read a lot and stuff like that during the summer. And actually they, they ended up gaining. Right. And I think you also mentioned that those effects are different for students depending on their, their household situation or household income. So the higher students in higher income households can better weather a disruption to education than, than students in lower income households? Sure, the, the impact of the school's closure is like to, to be more devastating in areas where uh, we have already low learning outcomes, high dropout rates, and, and, and low resilience to, to, to overall shock. So now the, the pandemic is obviously now threatening to make these outcomes even worse. These schools closure disproportionately hurt vulnerable and disadvantaged students, uh, not only who rely on education, but also who rely on schools for a range of other social services that include, you know, health and, and, and nutrition. And, and definitely this is something that likely uh, intensify future poverty and, and also increase uh, future fiscal pressure uh, for, for local governments on the line. But, but also something that you were mentioning, this sudden move to uh, from face-to-face -to, -face to online instructions or virtual learning, this is also another thing that contributes to uh, increasing the discrepancies in uh, education achievement among different uh, groups of households or students. The research uh, states that in, in general, or, or on average, parental inputs and online learning cannot fully replace face-to-face -face classroom instructions. And, and this problem is more severe for students from disadvantaged backgrounds. Uh, again, understanding that some of these discrepancies are include, for instance, the amount of time parents can devote to teaching, what are the, the parents' skills also, and, and, and again, the obviously the financial resources that households can allocate to support the learning process. There's also a lot of research about this is that explains some of the discrepancies in education achievement is the access to broadband and, and technology in general, right? It's well known as the digital divide. And it looks like some uh, work indicates that students that have access to um, uh, at home to uh, internet, they tend to perform better on reading and math and, uh, and science tests. You know, disruptions in the early childhood education in particular seem to be very important for long run uh, outcomes in life. Early childhood education is considered uh, a critical time. At this time, we, we, we lay the, the, the groundwork for children's academic careers. So early childhood education is critical to future economic outcomes. Research that has looked at the impact of high quality preschool and, and Herzl Start programs, they have shown that there are long-term benefits with higher graduation rates, lower incarceration rates, and higher earnings for those uh, students that have participated in this program. One important aspect is that while all students tend to benefit from early childhood education or from investment in preschool and, and those kind of things, 
The most gains are often shown for poor and disadvantaged children. And this is as a concept that is quite widely used in economics that has to do with the notion of dynamic complementarities in education. The returns from getting educated later in life increases as you invest more at the early stages. One thing that we can infer from this literature is that the opposite also takes place. So when there is a, a developmental shortfall at early stage, that may constrain the, the, the benefits of education later in life. As we will see here happening during this crisis, we'll see that we are missing that window of opportunity that is hard to recover later on. So, so again, the research on childhood education is not very optimistic on how policies can implement it later in life can offset the deficit that, that were accumulated at early stages in life. Again, this window of opportunity is really very valuable that if we miss it, it we we'll really expect to have some implications in the long run. Right. It seems, at least so far, um, these disruptions seem likely to widen gaps uh, that already existed, you know, the socioeconomic gaps in educational attainment. Do you have any takeaways from uh, your research on this topic that you think policymakers and educators should be thinking about uh, as we move through this whole pandemic experience? So, first of all, you know, we know that state and local governments, they play a critical role in funding and, and delivering K through 12 education in the U.S. They are limited in terms of how much they can smooth their expenditure when the revenue collapses. They have to satisfy with the balanced budget rules. Local and state governments, they have to respond by reducing their provision of essential services, including education. This is related to the investment in early childhood education, but also for the other types of uh, spending in school, in education. Some, some investment can be postponed. We can perhaps repair, a, you know, a street maybe tomorrow. Uh, and again, there might be some costs and some benefits from doing that. In the case of education, if we miss this opportunity, that will definitely uh, have some long-term uh, implications with, with significant long-term values. Now, the main concern is that these adverse effects tend to fall even more strongly on students from uh, disadvantaged families. And this may increase pre-existing educational achievement gaps. Maybe you have heard recently a lot of people talking about the K-shaped recovery, where uh, people now notice the great disparity on how individuals are being affected by the pandemic and their, and their recovery, where some are thriving while others have been devastated. Well, that all sounds pretty bad. Uh, are there any silver linings? This pandemic has forced the, the, the community, parents, families, and schools to work with each other in, a, in very productive ways and try to come up with solutions, right? How to overcome all these, all these difficulties imposed by the pandemic. And, and, and I hope that this kind of interaction continues. This, this pandemic actually gives us an opportunity for us to reflect about how, how we'll, we'll educate our future generations. For instance, what, what is the role of digital technology in, in future education? We need to define what a new normal for learning should be. I thought this was going to happen, you know, in 20 years from now, 30 years from now. Uh, the pandemic has put us on a spot that we now need to think about uh, how to deal with those things. And I hope that something good will come out of this. I, I hope so, too. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk with me. It was a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Lynn. Speaking of the Economy is produced by the Research Department at the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond. You can subscribe to the podcast on the Apple Podcasts app or download past episodes from our website at richmondfed.org slash speakingoftheeconomy. Want to know more about the issues that the Richmond Fed has been exploring? Check out our regional focus, a series of curated web pages 
that showcase economic research and data, reports and essays, and community engagement endeavors relevant to 5th District communities. Just look for the links on the homepage at richmondfed.org. The intro music for this podcast was composed by Ernest Barbaric, and the sound effect used in the intro was produced by Keith Holzman. The outro music was by Kevin McLeod. Thanks for listening.